Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. So good to be with you this morning. We are in a three-part series talking about the mystery of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, to try to understand a little bit around how we cope in the mystery of who God is. Um, We can't hope to know all of who God is. He is greater than you are. He is greater than we are in every respect and every understanding. And, uh, and, and, And sometimes it's in the mystery that we get hung up. We have a problem in the mystery. And you sort of think, well, how can you have a problem with someone who is so altogether wonderful, altogether beautiful, altogether lovely? But it's in those times where we sometimes, in the mystery of God, take offense. Now, there's two types of offense. For instance, um, when I leave here on a work day, Monday to Thursday, going out into the, uh, at the end of work onto the glorified car park that is known as the Western Freeway, some people have offensive behavior. You know what I mean. You know, you've got your indicator on, you're looking to, to just wave to say, I'm, I'm just merging in here, and they speed up and they block you out, and, and, and sometimes they give you a wave, but not all of their hand is up, like not all of their fingers are evident, and they might even say something to you, or their lights might flash at you, and you think, I am offended. That's offensive behavior, right? But sometimes not anything offensive in behavior has to happen for us to be able to take offense. Imagine that you're coming up with some great ideas and and you want to express those ideas and they're just an opinion, they're just an idea that you have to somebody else and you you sit down and in the best way possible you express these ideas to them and and they thank you at the end of that and, and then they go and continue on doing as they had done before. And you think to yourself, hey, hang on a minute, you didn't listen to me. And they say, no, I listened. I just didn't do what you wanted to do. I was listening. I heard you. I've just done it. And and all of a sudden, your preference, the way you'd like it to happen, you think, I'm offended that you didn't think that was worth doing the way I think it should be done. And all of a sudden, and this would never happen in your marriage. This, This would never happen in church either. And you're thinking, I I am just offended that you didn't do it my way. And that's another way we can take offense. And it's this way of offense that we have with God because God never does anything wrong. It's not that he is offensive in his behavior, if you like. He, he, He doesn't give us a funny kind of wave. He's not the person who's going to cut us off and do all of those things. There's nothing offensive in, in that type of thing about his behavior. He is altogether lovely. He is altogether good. He's altogether wonderful. However, in the mystery of God not doing things the way I want them to be done, I sometimes can allow my preference to become a prejudice that stops me from being in His presence. I allow my preference, the way I want it to happen, 
get in the road and it becomes a prejudice to the point it keeps me from his presence. A fence always builds a fence, a barrier between you and intimacy with God. That's what a fence does. Last week, Joe was talking to us about the sovereignty of God. I gave him that one because I didn't want to do it. He did a fantastic job. Go back and have a listen. It's online, fantastic message and understanding that God in his way of being in control of all things and being the one who knows all things and is all powerful in every way can be offensive towards us simply because we're not the ones in control. Therefore, his sense of lordship, his sense of the one who is in control becomes offensive because I want to be there. I want to be that one. And we have to, at that moment, learn to live in the mystery with confidence and trust and love. To be able to say, I don't understand all of your ways, but I'll trust you regardless. The prophet Isaiah tells us so clearly, God himself speaking to Isaiah says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. And this idea came out loud and clear last week. And our challenge is that it's his will done his way challenges us and our will done our way. And today I want to talk about Jesus. Because every... Every member of the Godhead, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, has a stigma attached to them. Last week we saw that it was the sovereignty of God is the stigma attached to him. And Jesus, the stigma that is attached to Jesus is that he is the way. The very thing that is offensive about Jesus to people is that he is the way, it's his provision. It's the cross. The way to God is offensive to people. The way to God is the offense of the cross. Billy Graham said, you can preach anything else and it's called popular. (laughs) But once you start preaching Jesus Christ, dead, buried and raised again to life, When you come to be able to preach at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus, the cross, the blood, the resurrection, it's a huge stumbling block to people. That's the thing people don't want to hear. It's an offense to them. It's the very thing, though, that it's at the heart of the good news of the kingdom of God. Without the cross, without salvation, there is no forgiveness. There is... No life in God, there's no entry into the kingdom of God. No purpose, no identity, no power, no provision. And the mystery of the cross, the mystery of his blood shed for us. What other king leaves his throne? 
The mystery of this trying to comprehend and understand that he is the only way to the Father. These are all offensive to people. The offense of the Son is his provision. It is himself that he is the only way to be saved. Why so offensive? Firstly, I think because it actually is an affront to human wisdom. The philosopher will say, well, that's just way too simple, isn't it? If children can understand this, then that's too simple. Where's the complexity about it? The message of the cross, it doesn't have enough worldly wisdom to it. Where's the science? Believe this message or be damned to hell forever? Well, I mean, that is a bit excessive. That doesn't sound like a loving God. How do I rationalize that the the world and all the pain and the suffering with this type of God who says he is love? Isn't this contrary to all the scholars have ever taught? Different from what any philosopher would ever have invented? No, I, I can't come at that. And human wisdom becomes a barrier because it takes offense at Jesus being the way. There's something in Jesus being the only way that hurts people's pride, though, more than human wisdom. And it challenges our human ability. The person who's relying for salvation on their own strength doesn't like the idea that that Jesus did it all. That you can't do anything to add to it. The cross offends people because it's completely contrary to the ideas of human merit. There's not a soul in all the world that by nature loves to be stripped of all its merit. And the last thing a person likes to part with is their own sense of righteousness. What do you mean? I'm a sinner who needs a saviour. I'm a pretty good person. Heard that before? I'm a pretty good person. No one's perfect after all. And the cross is offensive because it says, actually, that's not the case. There was one perfect. It's offensive because it says no one else is righteous, not one other than him. You aren't just a a pretty good person who needs a little tweak. You're not just a pretty good person that if you could get your thinking right on a daily basis about how wonderful you are, you'd be a better you. That's not what the cross says. It's offensive because it says you're a sinner. You need a savior. You don't just need a little tweak. You need to be redeemed. You need to be made right with God. Your righteousness isn't good enough. You need to have his righteousness imparted to you so you can become right with the Father. And this, of course, is so offensive because it it taps into a third thing, which is our human sensibility of him being the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that we can have eternal life. That's what Jesus said. Well, surely that's not it. It seems very arrogant. I mean, look at all the other religions around the world. Look at the the millions upon millions of other people who worship millions of other different gods. Surely there's another way. We just believe this way, but surely there's another way. 
there are no two roads to the kingdom of God. It's the same road for everyone, the cross says. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, royalty, commoner, it doesn't really matter. And that's offensive to us, to our sensibilities, because we like to look at other people and measure ourselves as either better or worse. Surely it couldn't be the same way for me and them. I mean, I, I'm so much better than them. I don't live like that. I don't make those silly life choices all of the time. How could that be the same way? They, they'd obviously need some more help, wouldn't they? And these become the offences of the cross. And remember what an offence does. It builds a fence between you and intimacy with God. And when people struggle at that point, they understand that Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only way to have eternal life and salvation. When we struggle in that mystery, we immediately distance ourselves from a loving God. Because without Jesus, you're a sinner in need of a saviour. Without Jesus, that's what we all are. And the cross says to us all, that's who you are. You, you, you need a saviour. You're a sinner. It becomes the conscience of the world, if you like. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when I come to the foot of the cross, the first thing that I have to say is, I'm a sinner who needs saving. But the scripture also says that people love to live in the darkness. Let's have a look at what it says here. Out of the book of John, chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. People don't want the light of the cross, and the cross therefore becomes a stumbling block. It becomes foolishness to them. They cringe and they go back into the darkness, and the light of the cross, it starts to penetrate into those areas of need, into that area of, of sin, our pride, our idolatry, our bigotry, into our intolerance of others into all the sins of our life. And the cross, it sends a beam of light that exposes and digs deep, and many people don't want that. And as it goes down into those deep, darkest places that are inside of us and exposes things we don't let anyone else see, we can run back into the darkness instead of towards the light. But God doesn't. God didn't want this light to become something that drew you away from him but draws you into him. The exposure is meant to say, I have a deep need and the only one who can meet my lead is the one who is doing it out of love. For God so loved the world. He did not come into the world to condemn the world but rather to save the world. 
See, the good news is that although that we are without doubt a sinner who needs a saviour, Jesus made a way and he didn't come to condemn us but to save us. It's by the loving kindness of God that we should turn from our sin. That love has made a way for us to be saved, it tells us in Romans chapter 2. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. And the offense is that you and I are sinners needing a savior and Jesus is the only way and we can't do anything else other than to receive this free gift of grace by believing on what Jesus has already done for us at the cross. Wow. This next picture is PG rated. Little people. Have a look at it. Offended by the blood? It's God's will that there would be brutality and bloodshed at the cross. From the beginning of time, God ordained that blood would be the key component, the hyperlink, if you will, connecting us with his forgiveness. God chose blood as the reconciling agent, the cleansing agent, the covering connection that would deliver us to the forgiveness of sin. In fact, the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Hebrews chapter 9. Blood is required from the covering. It must be the blood of a substitute. A worthy substitute must be without blemish. And as John noted in Jesus, here comes the Lamb of God. For the salvation of the world. Our substitute. Our sin offering. Jesus. His blood. Perhaps you're not offended by the blood. Seen too many movies. Maybe you're offended by the fact that your mess, your sin, required an innocent man to die. The Bible says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why Jesus had to die. Because he had no sin. He, as Peter said, was without defect. The only one who could shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. The way to God is singular. Jesus. The mystery of the cross, his blood shed for us. Jesus being the only way to be able to come to the Father. They're all offensive to people. The offense of the Son is his provision. His death on the cross, the only way to be saved. And until we can overcome that offense, we'll be forever separated from actually calling on his name, trusting in his act of love. But remember, walking in the mystery, the mysteries of God, walking in them is to walk in trust and love with confidence about who he is and what he's done. That's, that's why we walk that way. Now, now many of you are, are sitting here this morning and you've already overcome that offense. You've already reconciled with yourself that Jesus must be the only way. I am prepared 
to no longer take offense, but in fact be drawn by his loving kindness to change my mind about those things. And although it may not be my preference that it required Jesus to die on my behalf, although it may not be my preference that, that millions of other people, if they don't find their way in Jesus, don't come to God the Father. Uh, regardless of that, I've overcome that offense and I've chosen to put my faith, I've chosen to trust in the expression of love of God through what Jesus has done. And many of us sitting in this room right now are okay with that. What then can be offended, we be offended about with God? Well, it's not the way to God that is our offense often, it's the way of God that becomes the offense of those who are already saved. What do you mean the way of God? I mean, isn't he altogether lovely, beautiful, amazing in every way? I'm meaning the acts of Jesus. Most people will say it's hardly offensive the way he acted. But let's just take a little snapshot at what it looked like for Jesus to live the way of God. When he submitted his will to the Father's will. And have a look at what happens. Because there seems to be two groups of people constantly within the Gospels when we're reading about how Jesus moved amongst those who he was trying to love and reach out to. Two different things happen. Those who were drawn to Jesus are the first group of people. They're drawn to Jesus because of his obedience to the Father and the way he acted. It promoted in them faith. It promoted in them repentance and a desire to draw near to Jesus. And they benefited from either being healed or forgiven or set free or delivered. And they understood that God moving in and through Jesus draws me near to him and his love for me. And they experienced the kingdom of God as it drew near. And the way of God, because of Jesus' obedience, for them was a positive thing. Then there's a second group of people, and that's a group of people who immediately took offense at what Jesus did, who then either wanted to kill him or silence him or distance themselves from him. And here's the thing. It was by the same act of obedience to the Father in and through Jesus that made the reaction in the same group of people gathered there. Some positively drawing near and some distancing themselves all out of the very same act. Let's have a look. I've just put you know, a, a few things here. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 8. And we're just going to... Not read all of this, you can go back and read into it a little bit, but have a look at this as a quick example. Matthew chapter 8, uh, at the end of there, verses 28 through to 34, Jesus heals these two demon-possessed men. He's on the other side of the lake, uh, an area that is known for its Roman garrison and, and, and being a people who uh, the Israelites would say, oh, it's a bit dodgy over that side of the lake. And here Jesus is over there. And, and this is what happens. He comes and he meets them and he sets them free from the demonizing spirits that are within them and sends them into the pigs. You familiar with that one? Okay, pork gone mad. All right, right there. 
Okay, so here it is. This is what happens. If you, yeah, I know, poor pigs, right? Get over it. It's okay. The, the distressing part to me is that they went into the water. I, I think if we'd have eaten them, it would have been better. But anyway, okay, we're, we're talking about Jewish people here. Okay, have a look at the reaction. The reaction is that there's the first reaction. These men are set free. They're, they're no longer demonized. They're brought back into their right mind and they, they clothe themselves. They're drawn near to Jesus. They've been healed, set free, delivered. The second group of people immediately is that we find the, the final verse here. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. The whole town. And when they saw him, they said, heal us too. Deliver us too. Did that, is that what it says? No. What did they do? They pled with Jesus to get out of here. Same act of obedience to the Father. Jesus setting someone free. And you've got one group of people needing the freedom, drawing near and experiencing it. And another group of people right at the same moment go, get out of here. That's offensive. What you've just done. We had a box for these people. Straight up, Jesus crosses back over to the other side, back to his hometown. And over in his hometown, he calls uh, Levi, uh, Matthew, to come follow him, which is really exciting. But in the first eight verses, we see him here healing a paralyzed man. So this man is paralyzed and he's being brought by his friends and his friends bring him. And Jesus says, I see the faith in your friends. Uh, your sins are forgiven. And the guy then is told to pick up his mat and get on out of here, and he does. And there's two groups of people. There's the guys who were his friends who are going, what just happened? Our faith, our faith, not his, our faith, by bringing this man, our friend who needed Jesus, is now being healed and his sins forgiven and he's walking away. Now, I guess, just kicking up his heels and pretty excited about what's just happened. And in the same breath, you've got a bunch of people who see this miraculous act, who themselves then turn around. And what do they say? The teachers of the law are offended that Jesus is blaspheming because he said, your sins be forgiven. He ate with tax collectors. Matthew was one of them. He calls Matthew to be one of his disciples. Goes and has a party celebrating the fact. Of course, Matthew's mates are all there. Other tax collectors, sinners. Other people. Doesn't say what they did, but they were obviously not people who are in high repute because, again, we see two things happening. We see Matthew being obedient to the call of God in his life and laying down his career to follow after Jesus. And in the same breath, when Jesus celebrates, we have those Pharisees of the law saying, you eat and drink with sinners and tax collectors. Goes on, Matthew chapter 9. Jesus heals the blind and the mute. 
He then delivers a demon-possessed man who is mute. Guess what it says, verse 33. The whole crowd was amazed and said nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel before. This is amazing. But the Pharisees, the religious, they look and point at the very same thing that everyone else is amazed with and say it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. It happened time and time and time again. Just read through the Gospels and you see Jesus in obedience to the Father, doing what he's been called to do, the way of God in and through a person who is totally surrendered to the will of God becomes an offense to some, while at the very same time becomes freedom and life and forgiveness to others at this very same moment. You can either see the way of God at work through Jesus and the kingdom of God drawing near and be blessed and touched and healed and set free or or you can take offense. And straight away there will be a coming of judgment and of criticism and you'll distance yourself from the very thing God is wanting to do in your life. What he's asking for is a surrendered life. The way of God, however, should affect the way we live. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live like Jesus. We're called to continually submit our will to his will, our ways to his way. Paul puts it like this in Galatians chapter 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My heart attitude, my desires and priorities, they all now come under submission to the Lordship of Jesus. And whilst we might have overcome the offence of Jesus being the only way to the Father, only way to God, as people who are now in that kingdom, sons and daughters, we can still have offence at the way of God. It might be an offence from a, a distance when we see God act in certain ways and, then, and do some certain things in people's lives and all of a sudden we get conflicted about that. But I think even worse is when he might come to us and he says, not your will but my will be done. Would you go tell this person about Jesus? Would you walk across the room and go pray for that person? Here's what I want this person to know. I'm letting you know so that you can go tell them. Can you go tell them I love them? They've been waiting to hear it all day. In fact, they woke up asking me to tell them, but I need you to go do it. Could you, I want you to go do it. Could you, could you go do it? See that person over there? It's their day to be healed. Would you go heal them? That person needs to know me as Lord and Savior. Would you go tell them about me? What if he asked me to cast a demon out of somebody? What if he asked me to raise someone from the dead? 
All of a sudden, the way of God can become an offense to those who love him because we look at it and we say, that's not my preference. I'm not sure I want to go there and do that. I might look like a fool. What if you don't come through? What if, what if, what if, and all of a sudden... There's distance between the father who's trying to use one of his daughters, use one of his sons to extend the influence of the kingdom so it might come and draw near to somebody. And we have offense because we say, oh, I, 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 I don't know if you still work like that, do you? do you? Do you still work like that? That's like straight out of the Bible. Like, I'm not sure you still do those sorts of things, do you? The prophetic healing, casting out demons. We have doctors for that sort of stuff now, right? It can all be an offense. It moves us away from experiencing the power of God at work. But it's the loving intimacy of God that draws us to repentance, asks us to change the way we think and allows him to use us powerfully. Blackaby says, anytime God has access to his people, he can touch the world through that congregation. Anytime God has access to his people, he can touch a world through that congregation. It's intimacy that brings us to a point of being able to hear from God where he reveals his will, where he reveals his ways. And if at that point you take offense to the will or the way of God or what he wants to do through you, intimacy is broken and you'll miss the opportunity for God to work powerfully through you. Let me remind you again of why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that so whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's his way of love. Learning to live in confidence, trust and love in the mystery of Jesus, the way to God and the way of God. Maybe this morning we need to be reminded that he is the way. Not something we should be taking offense at. His way is motivated by love for us. His thoughts greater than our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Let God be God. Let Jesus have his way. And this morning, maybe, we've been challenged internally. And we just need to respond so that we don't miss the opportunity for God to have his way through us. Far be from us to be able to, in the mystery of Jesus, the way to constrict or to make up something more pleasing to our sensibilities about either how he acts or indeed that he is the only way. And this morning, you might have come in here and never placed your life into the hands of him who is the way. 
And I'd love to give you that opportunity for you to say, yes, Jesus. I get over the offence that you are the only way to the Father. I recognise and submit to you perfect sin offering. Thank you for dying on the cross on my behalf. As bloody and as messy as it was, I thought I can't quite comprehend that I've caused your death. But I thank you for the forgiveness that's offered. And I submit to you being the only way to the Father. I give my life into your hands. And today that might be you. And if that's you, I want to pray with you right now. And why don't you just stand where you are and I'll pray with you. Don't miss the opportunity. It can still be there tomorrow. It can still be there next week. You may need time to think about it. I can understand that. But don't miss the opportunity right now. Who knows for what tomorrow holds? Only God. Today's your opportunity. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to be able to pray for you. Just stand where you are. We'll pray. Bless you. Yeah, bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. I see you there. We're going to have a pastor just come and give you some information. God bless you. Just to help follow you up. While you stand there, let's just say these prayers. Father God, thank you for Jesus. The only way to you. The only way to come into this kingdom of God. And I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness, so freely given, that I couldn't earn it, I couldn't do anything but to receive it. And right now, I choose to lay my life down into your hands. Come fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we have some information we'd love to be able to support you and help you, to encourage you in your walk and, uh, and to bless you in the way as you go. You know, for others of us, there might be some stuff that's caught up inside of us because we've taken offence at, at the way of Jesus. What he's either asked us to do or what we've seen him do. And we go, oh, I didn't know. I don't know about that. And we've caused distance. This morning, why don't you put that behind you? Come and ask for forgiveness. Come. He's lovingly drawing you near. He didn't shine a light that you might feel condemned. He shines a light so you might know you need a saviour. It brings us and draws us near to that cross, near to the love of Jesus, so that we might be used powerfully by Him any way He might choose. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.